Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning and welcome into the podcast. Today is May the 27th. It is 2022. And it's been a minute or two. And uh, I want to start off today by acknowledging that today is my birthday. This morning, via social media and emails, text messages, phone calls, cards and things. Thank you so much for the well wishes uh, and for, uh, you know, a happy birthday. Um, I think as you get older, you look uh, less and less forward to birthdays. And uh, so anyway, thank you for all your well wishes. Lots of people reached out. I'm humbled by it. Thank you. I want to start off today, you know, sometimes when uh, you focus on something, it's to the exclusion of other things. And I was having a conversation with a guy. He is a uh, an assistant chief in a, a, a large, large, large department on the coast. And we were talking about different things. And, and he started talking about how they're going into neighborhoods that are being uh, developed new places that are being developed and they're doing pre-planning long before the house gets laid down and um, I told him I said well I said you know it's funny because we where I was previously we used to do that too and it, it's really a good idea and so I thought I would just expand on it some here oftentimes uh, when neighborhoods are being developed new buildings whatever the case may be um, it's typically uh, you know if any pre-planning is done whatsoever it's Typically, after the building has been built, people have moved in. But you can learn a lot about the layout of a neighborhood, especially if it's a larger neighborhood, by driving through once the roads have been uh, paved. Um, Oftentimes, you can go in and see where hydrants are going to be. Now, you can also get a copy and look at it on plans and things, but let's be honest. You can look at it on paper, but nothing beats going to the scene and actually looking at it. Um, And so one of the things that we used to do was we went and and looked at these new neighborhoods um, and we did so over a period of time. We would go back to see what kind of homes were being built. And typically in most modern neighborhoods, especially um, the ones that, you know, they put down 6,000 houses in two weeks, there are different models. So you don't have to go and look at every house. I had somebody tell me that one time. They're like, we're not going to go look at a new neighborhood. We're not going to walk through 300 houses. You don't have to. I mean, there are different models in a neighborhood. You go, you go into one or two. It gives you an idea. You're not going in and pre-planning each house. You're getting an idea about how the layout of a, uh, of a uh, development's going to be. You know, what are the spots that are furthest away from the front entrance? Are there other, other ways to get in? If you had to run a line uh, from a main road that's not directly connected, how far is it? All those things come into play. And it goes toward benefiting the tip of the spear, the people on the rigs. It goes toward benefiting them. So when you're looking at it, you're making a decision. Is this going to work? And if it's going to work, what's going to happen? All those things are important. They are. They're very important. And so you want to look at something and figure out for yourself, okay, exactly what is this, you know, how's this neighborhood going to, this layout going to be? In a more urban area, 
you too when they're building a new building. You, you don't have to go out there formally. You can be coming back from a, from a call, from a run. Stop by and just look, you know. Um, how wide is it? What's it look like? What's going to be the, the, you know, a lot of people spend way too much time on deciding, yeah, well, this is the route we're going to take to get there. What happens if that route's blocked up? In an urban built-up area, there are typically multiple routes. Some of them may take you out of the way, but if you have to use them, you have to use them. There's just a wealth of information that can be gleaned from actually going out and looking at things as opposed to um, laying on the couch or, or relaxing in a recliner or whatever. Just getting out into a neighborhood can teach you a lot. It doesn't have to be a four-hour evolution. It really doesn't. Um, but it pays off. It definitely pays off. And I was glad to hear my friend uh, talk about that and, and you know, focus on uh, positive things that, that, that you can learn from. And too many people think, nah, we don't get fires anymore. You know, I wasn't going to talk about this, but now that I just said that, in many places you don't get a lot of fires. You know, you're lucky if you get 15 or 20 a year, right? In some places, really small places. Um, but it makes it more important that the, the times you do go, you get it right. When mistakes are made on the fire ground, those are mistakes in leadership. People need to be trained. People need to go out and look at things. When you get that opportunity to display your professionalism, it needs to be done. There's not a lot of makeup. To, you know, there, there's not. If you, you know, in, in areas where it's relatively busy, you go to a fire and, look, things happen. Sometimes you wish you'd, you'd, you know, you'd done this and you did that. There are times to make up for that. In departments that don't get a lot of fires, uh, yeah, that becomes uh, few and far between where you can, you can make it up. So it's more important that you're ready for those few chances that you get. This is why the notion that, well, we don't have a lot of fires anymore, we shouldn't be training forward, is asinine. It is poor leadership when that's the attitude. just is. Again, don't have to like it, but there it is. It is poor, poor, poor leadership. And that's the way that goes. I want to talk a little bit about um, a subject that, that um, I was having a conversation with someone uh, the other day, and, and it's about aerial trucks and, and about um, technology and how technology has taken ladder trucks from, from 25, 30 years ago and, and has completely, uh, you know, changed them. And, and this person was making that point over and over that, you know, now we don't have to worry about this because we have this and now we don't have to worry about that because we have that. And the comment that, that really got me was the comment that these things are idiot proof. Wrong, wrong. Number one, I don't like that assertion that's, that something's idiot-proof. If you're talking about uh, fire, which is a complex dynamic event, and you're talking about a million-dollar or more piece of equipment that has many functions um, and that things can go wrong in, with, with, when you combine fire and, and working with technologically advanced equipment, 
lots of bad things can happen. So they're not idiot proof. Um, number one, you know, idiots don't operate don't operate modern fire apparatus. I know we may joke about it, but they don't. So no ladder truck, no engine, no rescue, uh, no fire extinguisher, no anything is idiot proof. Um, the bottom line is it takes repetition to get good at something. Lots of people think, you know, yeah, I'm going to walk around the truck, I'll look in the compartments, and then I won't have to do it again. Wrong. Repetition. It needs to be repetitive. Pilots don't become proficient combat pilots by not doing it, by not practicing, by not practicing when other people aren't looking. Too many people believe that, that organized training, that the departmental training is enough. It's not. It's meant to meet a minimum standard. And so when we look at, mo at modern fire apparatus, which are technologically more advanced, you still need repetition. That's what you need, repetition. And without that repetition, you become very average or below average. It's the way that it works. Nobody has to like it. No one. And that's the way that goes, and I get it. But there cannot be at all any assertion that something is idiot-proof. For example, I'm sure many of you have seen the picture of the Los Angeles Fire Department, their, their electric engine uh, that's in testing, I assume, still in testing. And the booster tank apparently ruptured or there was a hole in it and it's pouring water out. And I believe it was Rosenbauer put out a statement that, you know, it's in testing with L.A. and they're going to fix this. And it happens all the Basically, it happens all the time, to which my response is, no, it doesn't. This doesn't happen all the time. That engine is not idiot-proof. That engine is not designed like a combat aircraft. It just isn't. It's an electric fire engine meant to work well so it can sell more electric fire engines. But it is woefully underrepresented principally because there are a lot of people who don't trust it. It does not mean that one day everybody won't be driving electrical, you know, electric fire apparatus. It may very well be. That could be the case. But imagine for a second, just imagine, how this plays into fears that it won't. How this plays into fears that there's more concern with battery life than there is with actual, the actual functionality of one of these things. An absolutely huge hit against that particular fire apparatus. And it may only be something minor. But here's my thing. And this is not against Rosenbauer, by the way. This is just in general. You're putting out something that you know a lot of people are resistant against. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you do your dead level best, best to make sure that everything else on that particular rig was engineered and done to the absolute best of your ability. Checked and rechecked and checked again. Why? Because it's the example. That's why. It's not idiot proof. It can break down. It can happen to a diesel engine as well. It can happen to anyone, right?
But wouldn't you make sure that this didn't just go through quality control, but that it went through multiple, I mean, an unending amount of quality control because here you are, you're throwing out your electric vehicle, which some people embrace, others think it's ridiculous. Wouldn't you work your hardest to make sure that absolutely nothing else is going to fail? Well, I think you would. So what does this have to do with, with ladder trucks? Well, just because something is technologically advanced, just because it, it has auto leveling and, and it can serve uh, your favorite coffee in the, up in the bucket, or you know, no matter what, it's still a piece of equipment that's made by, by human beings, designed by human beings. It can have failures. And here's my big point about all this. No matter what, it takes a qualified operator to make up for the mistakes that happen. Think about that. No matter how technologically advanced something is, it can go wrong. It can be a huge mistake. Huge. Massive. And typically it is. And this is what we end up with. You have an electric fire truck that's supposed to be an example going to L.A. who has never met a fad that it didn't fall in love with. And look at it now. They lost sales because of that. Now, it might recover well and there may be great electric fire trucks going forward. And hey, that's good. It's good for the fire service if that happens. The more options, the better. But what a failure of immense proportions. Because when you're putting out something new, you don't want something old sabotaging it. So yeah, it's great to focus on one thing, but no matter how technologically advanced it is, you still got to have water. You don't like seeing water leaking out of a booster tank. And some people say, well, you know, they've, they've got the electronics and all the electric. It's all, it's... Nothing was harmed with that. That's fine. Doesn't matter now. The picture's out there. The description's out there. So again, no matter how technologically advanced, it can all go away in a fart. That's the way that works. Finally today, I want to touch on uh, interpersonal relationships. Fire department. Some people are universally loathed. They are. Uh, you still got to get along with them, right? I mean, you do. It's it's part of of uh, it's part of growing up, being mature. Doesn't mean you have to like it, but interpersonal relationships are something that you know. Um, it's part of life. It's not just part of the fire service. I always use this story. Went to the military. Went to boot camp. Um, was in boot camp. Got along because everybody's pulling together, right? I mean, we're all heading in the same direction. We all just want to get out of there. Then I was sent off to schools that lasted a long time, well over a year. It was a little different there, a little bit different. Um, yeah, we sort of pushed in the same, you know, pulled in the same direction, but there were personality conflicts. And what I found then was that no matter what, we all needed each other. In boot camp, it's a more extreme example. People are shocked. So, you know, it's a little bit different. 
But when you started dealing one-on-one with people, and you're dealing with very dangerous substances, equipment, things that kill people, all that kind of stuff, it's even more important that you set aside the petty and focus on the professional. Doesn't mean you have to go out drinking with them. Although sometimes that worked too, but it doesn't mean you have to. Didn't mean that that we were all going to get together on Christmas unless we were all, you know, obviously at school, which we were. Um, All those sorts of things. It doesn't mean any of that. It does mean that professionally, one-to-one, two-to-one, whatever it is, you got to get the mission accomplished. That's key. Now, for people who were just horrible, there were ways to get rid of them and to move them on out, and I'm not going to get into that. But the bottom line is, you don't work with always get to work with people you love. Sometimes you have to work with people that you don't, and it's painful. It is. Um, especially now, if it's just a little run-of-the-mill personality, that's that's one thing. But if you're trying to work with someone who's an acknowledged uh, jerk, who belittles you, things like that, well, I got to be honest with you. There are um, legal penalties and financial penalties for that for departments and and people who have people like that. Um, And, of course, that's up to each individual to decide that for themselves. But ultimately, it's just like, look, and this is the truth here. You don't get to choose who you serve. You know, I remember one time sitting in a group of guys in the mil- I was in the military, and uh, we're all sitting in the in this area. And one guy pops up and he says, "Well, I'm not serving anybody, or I'm not fighting for anybody who would spit on me." And an older, 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 uh, uh, high-ranking person said, "Nope, that's where you're wrong." When you serve, you're serving for the people that hate you because, you know what, that's difficult to do. It's easy to sacrifice for the people that you love or that love you. The mark of professionalism, the honorable thing, is understanding that you also serve those people who wish you didn't exist. And there's something to that, especially when you're involved in an occupation that requires sacrifice. And it does require sacrifice. might not be sacrifice in your life, but oftentimes there's tremendous health. Sometimes it is alive, but tremendous health, mental, all sorts of things that are sacrifices. So in many ways, it's the same when you have to work with people. In the military, you're always going to work. You're going to have to work with people that you don't like because you can't just pick up and go. you got to fulfill your enlistment. you got to fulfill your contract. You've, you know... A lot of times people don't want to hear it, you know. They don't want to hear that you can't get along with a person. It's a little bit easier in the fire service, but not completely easy. It's not like a private company where you can just say, yep, no, I'm not working with this person. I'll go work for this company over here. You know, there are far fewer fire departments than there are companies in, in the United States. It's a little bit more difficult. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that you don't have to like who you're working with all the time. But you still need to be professional, on scene, getting duties done. If the person is a bully or whatever, you can, you can fix those things. I'm not getting into that right now. But you still have to do your job. To do your job, you have to know your job. Know it and do it. That's going to do it for today. 
I will be back tomorrow with a Saturday edition. And uh, until then, stay safe.